All right. Hey, guys, good morning. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a great weekend. I'm going to be honest with you. Mine's been miserable. My family's on the East Coast, so it's just been my Australian shepherd and I batching it up at my house. We're like looking at each other all day yesterday. Like, what do we do? I don't know. What do you want to do? It's miserable. So I'm so thankful to be around people this morning. So glad that you showed up. I'm really believing God's going to do a work in your life today. I hope you came expectant. Jesus has been working today already. It's been great. First service was awesome. And I'm expecting him to do uh, something similar here today. So uh, during this service, because sleep-in service is Jesus' favorite service. Can I get an amen, somebody? All right, two of you are full of faith this morning. The rest of us need some work. Acts chapter 10, ladies and gentlemen, let's just go ahead and jump right in. What I love about Acts chapter 10 is this is the reason why you're in the room, okay? So, so Acts chapter 10, what we're about to read is the reason why you and I are actually a thing. Christianity started in among the Jews, and what's happening here in Acts chapter 10 is Christianity is breaking out now into the nations of the earth, and ultimately because of what Jesus did in this chapter, you and I are in the room hearing about the good news of Jesus and that we can be restored in a relationship with God, forgiven sin, and uh, experience eternal life with Jesus and living into that reality right now as we live in relationship with Jesus. So let's jump right in here. Acts chapter 10, verses one through two. It says, at Cesare, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, cohort, a devout man who feared God with all of his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. First thing that I wanna point out to you about Cornelius is uh, he was a seeker, right? You could put him in the seeker category. He hadn't actually become a full-fledged convert to Judaism. He's spiritually curious. He's exploring. He's praying. You know, he's doing the whole, God, if you're real, show it to me. But he's not a full-fledged convert at this point to Judaism. And he's just kind of exploring this whole God thing. And if If you're here, maybe you're here and this is you, you're a non-Christian, I'm stoked that you're here, we love that you're here, I hope that you would be in this category of seeking truth and seeking answers. One of the most dangerous things I think you could possibly pray is, Jesus, if you're real, prove it. I really think that's one of the most dangerous things that you can possibly pray. And I want to encourage you to do that because he shows up every single time. And, and this is Cornelius. He's, he's seeking. And I, I want to encourage you, man. D- don't let yourself go to sleep on the existential questions of human existence. Really wrestle with them. These big questions that are in you of who am I? How did we get here? What's wrong with the world? What's going to put it right? Wrestle with those. And the problem is, here's the problem for us as modern people, is we tend to go to sleep and not, a, you know, like whenever we have a big question like that come up, in our, our, our minds and our hearts, what do we do? We pull out our iPhone, right? Because we don't want to think. You know, I actually grew up before the era of the iPhone, believe it or not. And uh, when I was a kid, I actually experienced this thing called boredom every single day, you know? It was crazy. It was like, you know, you get bored, you can't pull out your iPhone. You have to go figure out something to do. And so it, it, that's, that's been a huge downfall for us as humanity is because you never experience boredom. Whenever you're bored, you just pull out your phone and you scroll through social media. But we need to sit with these massive questions of human ex- existence and experience and wrestle them to the ground. And what I love about Christianity, and if you're a seeker, if you're a skeptic, again, you gotta understand, this whole thing is built on skeptics, Right? 
This whole, the first skeptics of Christianity were Jesus' own disciples after he raised from the dead. They're hearing stories of like, Jesus rose from the dead, it's awesome. And they're like, yeah, I don't believe it. His OG crew, guys. So if he can work in their lives, he can absolutely work in yours. And uh, we are so excited that you're here. So we've got Cornelius, right? He's kind of this new character that we're introduced to. He is a manly man, right? He is a dudely dude. This guy is the real deal. He is a centurion, which means that he was a Roman military commander. He had probably about a hundred uh, men underneath his direct command. He is not messing around. Picture like, uh, you know, the first century version of Jocko Willink. Anybody know who Jocko Willink is? Just, you know, Jocko has Jocko fuel. Cornelius had Cornelius fuel. You know what I mean? Like the pre-workout thing. And uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Does anybody like come out of your room? Do you know who Jocko Willink is? Okay. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the planet. Glad that you're here. Uh, anyways, you know, just this intense dude. He's Jocko's up at 426, taking pictures of his watch that he's up before you and he's crushing it and working out and like starting his day. And you just look at him and you're like, I'm a miserable human being. Like I need to get my stuff together. That is Cornelius, right? He is masculine. He's manly. He is getting after it. He is the real deal. He is disciplined. He is ready to go. Now, what I love about Luke, what Luke does here is he begins to describe the character of Cornelius, what characterized his life. And what happens for me uh, is every August, every September, it seems like Jesus just shows up in my life and just releases these words about what he wants to do among us as a church for the next year. And that happened again this year. And one thing that I really uh, have sensed is on the heart of God for us as a church is that Jesus wants to develop and strengthen the community of men at New Song Church. Men, did you know that? Then in the midst of a world that's like trying to beat you down and discourage you and emasculate you and beat you down, that Jesus wants to come and he wants to strengthen you. He wants to build you up. He wants to give you hope. He wants to bring you in relationship with himself. There is hope for you. Jesus wants to work in your life. And it's critical in this cultural moment that we find ourselves in where we're surrounded by a society that's looking for bigger government as the answer. I really believe that Jesus is after and wanting to build bigger and better men. And we get a really beautiful picture, an awesome picture. That's not masculine. You don't say beautiful picture when you're talking about boy stuff, right? Okay, we're gonna just forget I said that, right? But here's the thing. We get an awesome picture of a doodly dude, like a guy that is, he's, his character is set. He is living rightly and he's making an impact with his life. And part of the unfortunate reality of these cultural questions that we're asking right now, of which there are many, you know, we're, we're asking these questions of what does it man to mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? There's all of these uh, implications that come from those type of questions. And part of the unfortunate repercussions of how society is answering those questions is what we've done is we've come to strip the role of father and of husband of any value or something that's worth attaining for. So, so much so you go up to any young dude and you ask him, hey man, what are you stoked about in life right now? Nobody's gonna say, yo, yo, here's the thing, man. I am like living to become the best husband and dad I can be someday. Nobody's saying that, right? We've got young dudes walking around. They're more interested in getting high and getting laid. It's like, that's the reality of the situation. And it's our societal narratives that are playing out here among us. And Jesus wants to step into your life and say, no, you were called to be a man of responsibility. You were called to be 
a man of God, living in intimacy with Jesus, walking with him, leading your family, leading in your church, leading in society. And so God wants to do something about that in our midst. And in fact, David uh, Blankenhorn, he wrote a book called uh, Fatherless America. He says this, the most destructive trend of our generation is fatherlessness, right? So if you, if you look sociologically at our society, he's like, man, when I survey everything, what I see is the biggest issue facing us in regard to our future as a nation, it's fatherless homes. It's that men have abdicated their role of responsibility as husbands and of fathers, and, and this is a really big deal. And so psychology today uh, tells us that kids growing up in fatherless homes, they do worse in school. There's a higher chance of mental health issues and sickness. Life expectancy actually decreases, believe it or not. There's a higher risk of becoming a victim for these kids of physical and emotional abuse. They tend to grow up and have lower incomes, higher crime rate around fatherless homes and their kids, and, and just to name a few different realities. And so what Luke is doing here in Acts chapter 10 is he's ascribing these characteristics to Cornelius in the affirmative. He's saying this is something that's really good about Cornelius. This is what it looks like to be a man of God. And this is what every godly man should also exemplify. So let me give you, I think we've got five things here. Number one, five things about Cornelius. He was devout, Luke says in verse chapter two. He was a devout man. Uh, he, 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 was, he, was, he was godly in his character, right? This is God's plan for you as a man, that you would be consistent, reliable, dependable, and integritous. Integr Some dudes I know are just about as reliable as the weatherman, right? We've all got that friend, right? Where it's like, hey man, are you gonna come to the thing? And they're like, yeah, I'll be there. I'll be at the thing. And then it's like a day before the thing. And it's like, hey, are you still gonna come to the thing? And like, oh shoot, man, something came up, right? Like it, it used to be that your word was a reflection of your character and this is critical. We gotta get back to this. And so for parents, this is really important for our kids that we don't, we, we follow through with what we're gonna say. And this is how you earn mistrust and lack of respect for yourself very fast is by being a person that does not follow through with what you said you were going to do. He was devout. He didn't demand respect. He earned the respect of people around him, right? And here's the thing. We, we gotta realize whenever you demand respect from other people, you've actually disqualified yourself from deserving it, right? I mean, that's the reality. He, he earned it. He was a devout man. Number two, what we learned about Cornelius is he feared God. He feared God. Now, he didn't fear God in the sense of like, I'm gonna walk outside my house and I'm scared that, you know, Jesus is gonna show up right foot of righteousness, boom, kick me right in the face and then I'm, I'm knocked out, right? Like he's just gonna do away with me. But no, what does it mean to fear God? It means that he stood in amazement at how good God is and it wrecked everything about his life, right? He lived his life like, I wanna please God. Now, here's the thing. Here's what you gotta understand, right? If you live for the praises of people, you will die by their criticisms. If you are looking for affirmation and security in your identity from other people, guess what you're gonna have to keep coming to, to, keep, to, to keep it. You're gonna have to keep coming back to them. And this is what the fear of God does. Is it says, listen, I don't care about men's approval. I'm living for an audience of one and his name is Jesus. And that's all that really matters to me. What, what does it do in your life? It keeps you from being a victim your entire life and living in insecurity, by the, living by the opinions and the approval of other people because you're, 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 uh, you're, you're looking for God's approval. You can live your life to please men or to please God, but you cannot do both. One guy got it. Right? That's the, that's the reality. You can live your life 
to please men or to please God, but you can't do both. It's great when they both line up, right? I mean, like, it's, it's awesome when that happens. But a lot of times, God is going to tell you to do things that's gonna upset people. Like, have you read the Gospels? Jesus knew how to, he knew how to, you know, scatter a crowd of people pretty quick. He said some pretty offensive things. But he lived his life pleasing to God. Oftentimes, pleasing God means that people aren't happy with you. And if you're living your life so concerned about pleasing other people, a lot of times that actually disqualifies you from living a life that actually pleases God. Number three, we learn about Cornelius that he was financially generous. Look at this. He gave alms generously to the people. He, he was a man that was not mastered by money. This is so critical. For men in particular, kind of a general pattern of idolatry that I've seen is in, in your 20s, sex is God. In your 30s, money becomes God. And in your 40s, power becomes God. Now it's gonna come in different ways and at different times and different seasons and we all have different proclivities to sin, but generally I've seen that, that that's the case. So Cornelius was a man who was not mastered by money. The Bible warns about greed almost more than any other sin. In fact, if we have 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, check this out. Paul says this, but those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation. No, you notice he's not condemning rich people. He's not saying you're automatically out and you suck because you have a lot of money. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying the desire to be rich, those who desire to be rich, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Again, not money. It's the love of money. The love of money. Jesus is going at your affections, your desires. What do you want? It's the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving. Look at this. This is so intense. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. And so the reality is the Bible has so much to say about greed. Jesus uses money as an illustration all the time. And it's because he's, he's like, I'm after your heart. I wanna, I wanna get after your affections, your desires. And here's the thing which you gotta understand. No thing is a better indicator of your heart and your soul and what you value and what you love and what you worship than money, right? And so here's what we tend to do, right? I know us because, you know, I've been in church for a long time. And uh, what we tend to do as Christians is we tend to say, we tend to say, I love Jesus so much. Look at me in my car with my worship songs. I'm singing my guts out. I got Chris Tomlin classics because you know I'm legit and I'm in here. Nobody's around. How great is our God? You know, like top of my lungs, people around me in other cars think I'm crazy, right? We tend to look at those moments and say, see, I love Jesus. Or we could point to our Instagram board and say, look at all these Bible verses, man. Look at all these things that I've said about Jesus. I like all the Jesus. Jesus post and I, I reshare everything on Facebook. And here's the thing. It's like, Jesus, he's like, listen, I don't want to talk about any of that, right? Like, like, show me your credit card statement and I'll show you what you really love, right? And Cornelius was a man who was not mastered by money. And the point is, if your wallet hasn't actually followed your faith in Jesus, your faith in Jesus hasn't really taken up residence in your heart. He was a generous man. Number four, uh, notice that he prayed continually. Luke says, he prayed continually to God. As a husband, as a father, you have actually been given the assignment of spiritual headship. We're going to talk a lot about that this year because that's a really big deal and really controversial. We tend to not shy away from controversial things at this church, if you haven't noticed that. But um, this, it's this idea that you, you have been given responsibility in the context of your marriage and in your family. And uh, 
to pray for your family, to minister to their spiritual needs. Uh, gentlemen, let me save you a lot of headache. The best thing that you can do is not try to fix your wife, but to pray for her because then God fixes her. I'm just kidding. He, well, kind of like he, he, he does do that, but right, like you're called to be a priest, to pray. I mean, seriously, this is how mentors in my life have trained me. They've said, okay, here's what you gotta do. To be a man of God, you're up, you're praying for your family every single day, praying for your wife, for your kids. Your heart is postured to receive what God might wanna say to you through them. And I'll, I'll never forget this. I remember when Jesus really started to kind of show me the importance of this. It was a number of years ago, just a quick story. And, uh, I, you know, I got up, I was praying for my family most days, uh, I'm up before them, praying for them before they get up. We spend some time praying together. Then we go on with our day. And this was one of those mornings. And uh, Marissa gave me, she called me, you know, the morning time, whatever. I don't know when it was. And she was like, hey, I want to go. I'm going to go to Anacortes today. Just wanted to let you know. And I was like, oh, cool. That sounds great. Bring me back a uh, muffin from the awesome muffin spot over there. That's killer and to die for. And so, and I hang up the phone with her. And all of a sudden, it's like, I've got this like conviction. That's like, oh my gosh, like. I feel like you're not, she's not supposed to do that. And I did, it was kind of this like foreboding, like is something gonna go down? I don't know what this is. And I was praying about it and I was like, dang, Jesus, like what, is this you? Are you talking to me? And so I just prayed about it. I didn't call her back because it felt religious and weird. And so I just prayed. I was like, God, if something's gonna go down, just protect them, protect her, protect Asher in the car. And uh, you know, great. So I went on with my day. I get a call from Marissa about 30 minutes later. She was on the freeway heading south at 70 miles an hour. Her transmission exploded in her car and literally it sounded like a bomb went off. And thank God there were no cars around her. The off ramp was perfectly placed in front of her. She got to pull off. God's hand was on the whole thing and it was amazing. And so it was like Jesus speaking to me and saying, hey, listen, I'm gonna talk to you about your family. Like this is a big deal. Like your prayers actually shift heaven and change circumstances on the earth, right? And so it's a really, it's a big deal. And so now, <laughs> now whenever anybody in my family wants to leave my house, I wrap them five times in bubble wrap, you know, and tape it up. I'm just, I don't do that either, but you know, like, like it's, it's important. It's critical. Jesus was a man of prayer. Mark chapter one, verse 35, long before the sun rose, he departed to a desolate place to pray. We have to become men of prayer. Number five, what you'll notice about Cornelius is he was a man of responsibility. He was a military commander. He led his family spiritually. Uh, I've said this before, men are like trucks. They drive better with a load, you know? A dude that is not accepting responsibility in his life, oftentimes he's like a two-wheel drive in the snow, you know, just all over the place. And God has created you to shoulder the load of responsibility. Uh, and, and so Cornelius is taking responsibility vocationally in his country, right? As a military leader, he took responsibility for his family. He took responsibility for the spiritual well-being of his children. Uh, and if you are a husband or a dad, let me say this to you. It might not be your fault, but God would have you take responsibility. And so if you, if you go back all the way to Genesis chapter one, when God creates Adam and Eve, well, you know, you probably know how the story goes. Eve is deceived. She goes, she eats the fruit. She brings it back to Adam. Adam eats the fruit. They sin. God comes. He's like, what's up, players? I gave you one job and you broke the rule. Like, what is this? This is crazy. And what he does first is he doesn't go to Eve. He looks at Adam and he says, Adam, where were you? 
right? Which is crazy because Eve was the one that ate the stupid tree, right? And then and, and he, he, Adam did what men have been doing ever since. And what do we say? It's the woman's fault, God. Like she did it. This woman is a dad disaster. It's all her fault. And God comes and he, he keeps the heat on Adam. And he's like, no, I called you to watch over your family as spiritual head and leader to protect and to serve, not to dominate, you know, and, and to assert yourself and be an abusive, horrible, ridiculous person. I also haven't called you to be passive and take a back row seat to what's happening in the context of your family, but to actively watch and care for and minister to the needs of your family. And you are over here doing whatever you're doing, Adam, right? And so he goes to Adam first. And this is the reality where God looks towards the man first as the head of the household. And so and this, is, this, is, this is so like Jesus, guys, right? Because he, what is Jesus doing on the cross? He's taking responsibility for something that he shouldn't have ever had to take responsibility for. What's he doing? He's taking responsibility for your sin on the cross, right? He who knew no sin became sin so that in him you might become the righteousness of God. It wasn't his fault, but he took responsibility so he could bring you back in relationship with the God of the universe who loves you. And so if if you're here, you're a young guy, you're single, you're not married, I wanna encourage you, man, you have to take responsibility for yourself. The reality is society is not holding you to any expected standard uh, of, you know, like develop, become a man, get ready for being a husband and a father, Right, it's totally socially acceptable to delay adolescence well through your 20s and live at your mom's house, suck on unemployment whenever you can, stay living in insecurity as a victim to your past. If this is you, Jesus wants to put steel in your spine today and he's saying, rise up above those narratives. I have called you to be a man of God. Do something with your life. Get serious about following Jesus. Get filled with the spirit and get a job. You know, if you're looking for a rule of life, young dudes, like, they're, they're, how about that, you know? Get serious about following Jesus, get a job, and I need a third J. Uh, Don't be a jerk. How about that? You know, (laughs) follow Jesus, get a job, don't be a jerk. Rule for life. There you go. That's worth the price of admission for you today. So moving on, verses three through eight, let's carry on in our story here. It says this, about the ninth hour of the day, this is about 3 p.m., he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So he's, it's, you know, it's 3 p.m. He's praying, which was his discipline. It's an hour of prayer. And he has a spiritual encounter that changes his his life forever. And we've seen this happen several times in Acts, which is so interesting because the angel shows up and he says, hey, send for Peter, right? Like, it would. why didn't the angel show up and say, hey, dude, you're a sinner. You need the grace of God. Let me preach the gospel to you. Give me the Holy Spirit. And then boom, you're good to go. He didn't do that, right? He said, hey, Cornelius, reach out for help, right? Like, like, it's crazy. Does that not freak you out? That's just been blowing my mind. Like, literally, the angel could have showed up and just converted the dude on the spot, but he doesn't do that. He says, hey, reach out for help. Call for Peter. He's going to come, and I'll take care of everything else. And this is what God does, right? When you become a follower of Jesus, he puts you in relationship with other people, which is why if you're here, you got to be in a small group. You got to be involved in the community life. It's one thing to just show up to a gathering here on a Sunday, and I'm so stoked 
stoked that you're here, dude. It's amazing. So honored that you would take time out of your week and your busy schedule to show up and, and, and sit with us for uh, an hour or so here on a Sunday. But we got to get you relationally connected with all other Jesus followers. This is what Jesus does. You follow him and he puts you in relationship with other people. And, and we, we tend to resist this as 21st century modern individualistic people, right? Because we don't like to admit that we need help. And newsflash, you need some help. Especially when it comes to following Jesus, you need some help. Our own proclivity towards self-deception is absolutely incredible. What community does is it keeps you from getting really weird, all right? As a pastor, I've had some crazy conversations with people. I've had people come up to me and say, hey man, here's the thing, I think Jesus is speaking to me. He's telling me to divorce my wife and go marry this chick over here and move halfway across the country. And I'm like, you know what, bro? think you might be hearing wrong on that one. You know what I mean? And this, this is what happens when we get isolated. We come up with these crazy ideas. In fact, I gave this illustration at a small group summit. So for those of you that were there, forgive me, but it's just perfect, perfect. I was watching this one video uh, on Vice. They were doing this documentary of this, this, this Christian cult. And essentially they're an AR-15 Christian cult where like what they did, their pastor basically like, he, horrible Bible study. He picked a couple verses out of Revelation where, you know, I talked about how we're going to rule in the kingdom with the rod of iron and you know so we're kings and we're priests and and so what he does is he he actually made himself the king of his church and his wife is the queen and they all have ar-15s when they show up to church i kid you not you can find this they do like these church like uh barbecues where where they do like drills like no joke, they've got the tires and there's like this like middle-aged like 50-year-old woman with an AR-15 like jumping through the tires and then rolling out and like shooting targets. Some of you are like, what's wrong with that? And <laughs> it's weird. That's what's wrong with that. And it's not Bible. And this is what's so important why Jesus is like Cornelius, call to Peter, right? You need help. You need community. And you don't want to be like that guy, right? So Jesus puts you in relationship with other Jesus followers. So, so Cornelius has a vision, and actually so does Peter. And there's a parallel story happening here, uh, starting in verse 9, where God, he speaks to Cornelius, he speaks to Peter, and he's about to bring uh, their stories together in a unique and a beautiful way that's going to lead to the conversion of not only Cornelius, but his entire network of his family, his wife, his kids, uh, uh, his coworkers. It's amazing what's about to go down right here. So let's pick it up in verse nine through 16. It says this, the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. This is is a vision that Peter is having here. And he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And it, in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. If that doesn't make you want to be a Christian, I do not know what will, right? But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is unclean or common. And the voice came to him again a second time and said, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Uh, when God has something to say, sometimes we're a little bit thick-headed and he says it three times. And uh, there's hope for you because Peter needed Jesus to speak to him three times. And so uh, y y y the point, what's going on right here, have you, ever, uh, have you ever been confused about something that God said? 
maybe spoke a word to you and it was just confusing. Like, I don't really get this. I don't understand. That's Peter right now, right? He is, this is why this was so confusing. This vision to him of these animals coming down in the sheet, rise, Peter, kill and eat is because Jewish people, they weren't allowed to eat certain types of animals. And now it seems like God is like, hey, Peter, all those dietary laws that you followed your entire life, yeah, forget them. And Peter is literally arguing with God here, which is never a good idea. And he's like, hey, you know, like, I, I, I don't understand this. I've never eaten anything unclean in my life. And the point is sometimes God will speak a word to you that doesn't automatically make sense uh, because he's after relationship with you. He wants you to wrestle with it. God calls you to do something. What do we do? We come with our excuses. God, I can't do that. I'm not resourced enough. I'm not gifted enough. I'm not a good speaker. I'm not a good administrator. Like I, I, my, my network of people is pretty small, right? And the point is he, he will speak things to you that will not make sense until you keep taking steps of faith in the direction of obedience, right? And so God will speak a word and you gotta just, you gotta move in that direction and say, okay, this is what you're saying. I'm moving here in faith. I'm moving in obedience and God will continue to make it clear as you navigate forward. And that's exactly what happened to Peter in verses 17 through 23 here. Let me just illustrate this for you. So Peter's freaking out about this vision that he had. And uh, he's like, man, what does this even mean? All of a sudden he hears knock, knock, knock at the door. He goes down. It was the, the guys that Cornelius sent to grab him. And they're like, hey, we need you to come with us. We've got this dude, Cornelius. And, and you know, he had this encounter with this angel and you need to show up and talk to us. And so Peter's like, okay. So he starts the journey with them. And what I love about this is Peter was available for God. He was available for God. Look at me. Are you available if God spoke to you right now and said, I want you to do this, are you, are you close enough to him where you could actually hear him speak that to you and would you follow that, right? Like, like or, or are you too distracted right now by Facebook and Instagram and the endless scrolling and the stupid Netflix shows? It's, and it's so dumb, right? Because you sit on Netflix, I know this, you sit there and you spend an hour trying to find something to watch and you never find anything to watch. So you just turn the TV off and you go to bed and you wasted an hour, right? It's like, like, are you too distracted by the reality of everything happening around you that you've actually disconnected yourself from being available to God. Peter was a dude that was available for Jesus. In verse 29, look at this. This is awesome. It says, uh, when I was sent for, I came without objection. That is so good. That's worth building your life on right there. What's he saying? I, I listened to Jesus. God said, go. And I said, okay. I didn't argue, right? G Peter had made Jesus Savior, Lord, God, King of his life. And that means for Peter, when Jesus says, do something, Peter says, okay. Delayed obedience is just disobedience, right? Delayed obedience is really just disobedience. And God is so gracious there and we're all learning, we're all growing. But Peter went without delay and without objection. Friends, this is, a, this is the most exciting way to live your life. I dare you one day this week to wake up and say, Jesus, whatever you do, immediate obedience right? I dare you. It'll be awesome. It'll change everything. He went without delay. He went without objection. And so he shows up, he meets Cornelius in verses 25 through 26. Look at this with me. 
It says, uh, when Peter entered, so he's at Cornelius' house, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. So Cornelius, he ends up worshiping Peter. And this is what we tend to do also. We tend to idolize people. It's always a bad idea because your heroes will always fail you. Your heroes will always fail fail you. And this is why Jesus has to become your hero. He's the only one who's worthy of your worship. He's the only one who will never fail you. What Peter is interested in uh, is, is Cornelius. Let me get you connected to Jesus. Let me show you why Jesus is the hero of your story because he's the one that can change everything. I'm just a dude, right? Uh, my job is to point you to him. Verses 27 through 28. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. This is, I think, right here, uh, one of the main points of the entire text right here. This is where a lot of the weight uh, and this story really comes from because Peter's realizing, uh, okay, so God wasn't talking to me about animals. He's talking to me about people. And I have been prejudiced and I've looked at certain people as in and others as out. And, and God is saying, listen, I'm calling all people clean. I'm after people from every nation of the earth. And Peter, I wanna use you to actually do something about that. Peter is having his entire worldview overturned by God right here, right? His entire world view overturned. And this is what's so scandalous about Jesus, guys. If you read the New Testament, it, it, what's fascinating is everybody that you thought was in is actually out. And everybody thought that you thought, everything, everybody you thought was out is actually in, right? Jesus shows up to the religious people, the religious of, elite of his day, the scribes and the Pharisees, the guys that, you know, had more degrees than Fahrenheit that could quote the entire Bible by the time they were like 12 or 13, right? They, they, were, they were super religious, looked really good on the outside. They've, they showed up in the temples and everybody's like, oh, Rabbi, you're awesome. You know, they were that guy. And Jesus is actually like, you know what? Uh, hypocrite, he's out, right? And, and Jesus goes to the broken. He goes to the poor. He goes to the lowly. And those are the ones that are in, right? It's fascinating how this works, that everybody who thought was in was out and out was in. This is what Jesus does. And so there's hope for all of us because when we come to that place of brokenness, you are automatically brought into the embrace of Jesus. He says in Matthew chapter five, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And part of the reason why we're so jacked up right now is this society is because we are way too focused on categories, right? It's, it's all, all across the board. It's an us versus them reality. And, you know, it's conservative or Democrat. It's black or it's white. It's I believe this or I believe this. I stand with this organization and then there's everybody else, right? We're, we live in these categories and what, what tends to happen is we look down our nose at other people and we say, you're lesser than I am, right? You suck. <laughs> like, come to me and I'll, I'll show which some of them do, all right, let's be real. But, you know, like we're saying, I'm, I'm up here and you're down here. I'm looking down my nose at you. And this is what's so scandalous about this passage is because what God is showing Peter is he's saying, listen, don't call anybody common. 
Don't call anybody unclean, right? Because I'm after men and women from all the nations of the earth of every political background and ideology and worldview and whatever. It doesn't disqualify them for me. I, if I can save you, Peter, I can work on this dude's life also, right? That's what's essentially going on here. And so this is what the gospel does is it comes along and only Christianity gives you this, man. Only Christianity says all humanity is made in the image of God. Right, this whole humans are worthy of respect and honor and you know, all that sort of stuff and common decency, you only get that from a Christian worldview. Genesis chapter one, God created them in his own image and after his likeness, male and female, he created them, right? That means that every single person walking the face of the planet is worthy of dignity and respect and you having value of them just because they are the Imago Dei. They are the image of God. In fact, I saw this one pastor post this recently, uh, he's a pastor in New York City. His name's John Tyson. He's amazing, dude. Church is so, they're, they're awesome. And uh, he posted this picture on Instagram in recent months where he just, it was this picture of this homeless guy in New York City. And, you know, he has a five-foot radius of just junk everywhere. He's got a sleeping bag on him. You know, he's got the McDonald's cup in front of him, half empty. And, you know, just trash everywhere. You can just see a little bit of his face through a sleeping bag. And he captioned the picture by just putting two words over it, Imago Day. And it, it wrecked me in that moment because I was like, dude. Whenever my heart moves to judge somebody or to look down my nose at somebody, because, right, for a lot of people, they look at that dude as what's wrong with society, right? Like you walk by that guy on the street and a lot of times, you know, we look at it and we're like, hey, you're what's wrong with the city. Like you're trashing this whole place. And literally here's the gospel that shows up and says, no, image bearer of God, right? So what would happen in the context of your life if every single time your heart moves to judge somebody, you came back and you preached the reality, this person is made in the image of God, they are valued by God, and so they're gonna be valued by me as well. You start to look a lot like Jesus when you do that, man. And that's what's going on here in Acts chapter 10. Peter's realizing he's having, he, this is a moment of humility, right? Where, where Jesus is confronting him and he's like, Peter, shut up, you're an idiot. I love this guy and I wanna change his life. And Peter's like, okay, yep, Lord, you're right. I'm with you, right? And so many of us, we need to actually do that. What would happen, guys, in your life, in our city, in our county, if every single person you interacted with, you held them to that standard of, you're an image bearer. Like you're, you're worthy of my time. You're worthy of my love. You're worthy of me serving you, right? If, if Jesus can show up in John chapter 13, take off his robe, take the form of a servant and wash his dude's feet, king of all, God in the flesh, a lowly servant, you can do the same thing. And that's what's going on here. Here's Jesus reaching beyond cultural and societal boundary markers and changing somebody's life. So do you feel far from God? That's okay. Jesus is right on your heels this morning. And so Cornelius, he has, he has his family, he has his friends and everybody there. And he, he's like, hey, Peter, okay, so you're here now. What do you have to tell us? And, and let me just give you a few more thoughts here and then we'll wrap it up. Peter, Ty's gonna jump into this uh, passage a little bit more next week, but Look at the first few verses after verse 34 with me. It says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. No matter if you're rich, you're poor, you have brokenness in your life, 
or everything's put together, everything's going pretty well for you. It doesn't matter. God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. I love that. You know, Jesus came with good news of peace. There's so much chaos in the world right now, right? I mean, can we, would you agree with me? Like, you don't, you don't look at the state of our nation and the world and you say, wow, we're really at peace right now, you know? It's chaos. It's crazy. The, you know, everything's falling to absolute crap right now. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus shows up with a message of good news, a message of peace. And I love that Luke just slides that in there as an aside in parentheses. Oh, by the way, he is Lord of all. And here's the point. Where Jesus isn't Lord, there's no peace. He alone is the Prince of Peace, right? Of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end. Jesus is peace incarnate, which means that where there's no peace, it's because Jesus isn't king. So friend, let me hit your life with that for a second. Do you have a lack of peace somewhere in your life, right? The follow-up question is, is it because Jesus isn't actually Lord of your life? Have you taken responsibility for that area? And that's why you're anxious. And in fact, one thing that I do whenever I notice that I'm not restful, I'm not, I don't have, you know, the peace of Jesus and I'm just kind of stressed out out more and anxious, frustrated, whatever, I ask myself a question. Where did I leave my peace? Where did I leave it? Where did I drop it, right? Because Jesus says in John chapter 14, my peace I give to you. So I ask myself, okay, where did I drop it? Where did I leave it? Because Jesus has given me his peace. I need to be walking in peace. And here's the thing, you know, Jesus in in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, don't be anxious about your life. That's literally a commandment, guys. Like you don't get to disobey that. If you're gonna follow him, he's gonna be God of your life. That means that you have to obey. And he says, don't be anxious about your life. And he's not saying, I want you to beat yourself up and try harder. He's saying, I've given you, all of the provision necessary to not be anxious. Like the hairs on your head are numbered. Your days are numbered. Psalm 121, I know you're rising up and you're sitting down. You're going out and you're coming in. His watchful eye is upon you. He's a good shepherd that leads you beside still waters and green pastures that restores your soul. That's present in the midst of every heartbreak and trial and difficulty. That's present and involved wanting to minister to you and to give you peace. This is what Jesus does. Peace breaks down where Jesus isn't present as Lord. So maybe you're here, your marriage is a disaster. Family's falling apart. You're anxious about life, about relationships. You've got fear, you've got anxiety, you've got worry, you've got doubt. I want to tell you today, there is good news on Jesus's heart and he wants to bring you peace as you surrender those areas to him and say, Jesus, you're Lord of this. This is out of my control. I've done everything I can do and and I just give this to you and I need your peace, God. I'm going to surrender this to you and let you be Lord of all in my life. That is where peace comes from, friends. And here's what's crazy about this. Uh, Jesus, he, he came first to give you peace in your relationship with God. Right? He came first to get you back in relationship with God. And Cornelius' life and his conversion here that we're gonna hear more about in the next couple of weeks, it, it, it confronts you in two different ways. Number one, it offends you by saying you aren't good enough to earn your way to God. Right? Like Cornelius is the dude. You know, like however, you know, legit you are, he was more legit. And, and it wasn't enough to save him. He still had to have somebody show up 
and preach and share Jesus and respond in repentance and faith. And, and, and that's, that's the reality. So, you know, I talk to a lot of people uh, throughout the years where, you know, you, they, they might believe in God. They're not a Christian. You ask them, okay, so God might be real. If he is, do you think you get heaven when you die? And you don't cross the board. Everybody's like, well, you know, I think I'm a pretty good person. I've never done anything really that bad. But the point is you also haven't done anything that's good enough. <laughs> Right, And so that's what's so offensive about Cornelius' life is this is what the gospel does, man. It strikes you down before it lifts you up. It humbles you before it saves you. It pierces you and breaks you before it heals you. But at the same stroke of you can't be good enough, the good news of Jesus and peace with God through him shows up and says, listen, you don't have to keep trying to be good enough. Right? You can hop off the religious treadmill of good works and morality and trying to earn your way to God because Jesus from the cross, what does he say? It's finished. He doesn't say, now there's more that you have to do. Okay, start now. He says, no, it's done. It's finished. There's nothing more that needs to be completed. You are brought back into your relationship with God because of what Jesus has done for you. This is about his good works on your behalf, not your good works. And if you, if you live there, if you don't learn to live there, you are never gonna have peace with God. You're always gonna be trying to measure up and you're never gonna feel good enough. And Jesus wants to rescue that from many of us from that today. Look at this quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says this, after I have explained the way of Christ to somebody, I say, now are you ready to say that you are a Christian? And they hesitate. And then I say, what's the matter? Why are you not, why are you hesitating? And so often people say, I don't feel like I'm what? Good enough yet. I don't think I'm ready to say I'm a Christian now. And at once I know that I have been wasting my breath. They're not getting it. They are still thinking in terms of themselves. They have to do it. It sounds very modest to say, well, I don't think I'm good enough, but it's a very denial of the faith. The very essence of the Christian faith is to say that he is good enough and I am in him. As long as you go on thinking about yourself like that and saying, I'm not good enough. Oh, I'm not good enough. You are denying God. <laughs> this is so good. You are denying the gospel. You are denying the very essence of the faith and you will never be happy. You think you're better at times and then again, you will find you are not as good as other times than you thought you were. You will be up and down forever. How can I put it plainly? It doesn't matter if you have almost entered into the depths of hell. It does not matter if you are guilty of murder as well as every other vile sin. It does not matter from the standpoint of being justified before God at all. You are no more hopeless than the most moral and respectable person in the world. Would you stand with me? So maybe, maybe that's you, right? Jesus came to give you peace in your relationship with God. Man, I wanna encourage you, before you get out of here, come up. I would love to meet with you and pray with you and get you introduced to Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're a Jesus follower and you're like, man, I've been living in that exhausting yoke of works and I want out. Jesus is speaking peace to you. Maybe your life is just going all sorts of sideways right now. I wanna encourage you that Jesus is saying, let me be Lord of that. Give that to me and I'll give you peace. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you so much for being here, for working in our midst, for this amazing text in Acts chapter 10. And uh, God, I pray that uh, you would bring peace to your people. In Jesus' name, anybody in here that needs to surrender their life to you, God, I pray that they would do that before they get out of here. Bless your people. In Jesus' name, everybody said.
Amen. Hey guys, thank you so much for being here. If you uh, would like prayer, please come forward. We've got member or New Song 101 kicking off in about five minutes up here in front of the baptism tank. We would love to do that. If you're here for membership, sorry, love you. Totally forgot. Come back next Sunday. We'll do it then. Have a great week, everybody. Be kind to of those that God has placed around you. We'll see you next